Salud. Salud, Kelly. Salud. This is the West Coast Project podcast for Better Call Saul. My name is Mike, and I'm here with Kelly. And we're up to episode 10 of season 4, Kelly, entitled Salud. This is a great episode. Yeah, for sure. That little scene is where Don Eladio's toasting Gus. You might remember it where they hold up the shot glasses of that really cool old tequila, and there's a really uncomfortable silence and long wait in between what's going to happen because uh, Don Eladio doesn't want to drink until Gus drinks, and Gus doesn't want to drink until he absolutely has to. So there's a... There's about a four or five second set of silence there before they tip the glasses. Yeah, very awkward. You can tell that um, Gus has no desire on hugging him either when he comes in and is trying to be all friendly like they're old pals or something. Yeah. So there are three storylines in Salude. Um, let's go through them. The first one is the main visit to the cartel headquarters down in Mexico. Um, and Kelly, let me just say that the Mexican crime model is an exact replica of the American crime model. Um, and what I mean by that is Don, Don Eladio has, he has his own mic. I think Gaff is his mic. Um, he has a Huel, the capo that took Gus to the bathroom and kind of babysat him while he went to the bathroom to v- vomit up his poison. Mm-hmm. He was a Huel. He was an exact copy of Huel. Um, and even the Mexican hostesses had kind of a mirror image of the strippers that the boys went to in New Mexico. Yeah, that's true. They are kind of mirrored, mirroring each other. You've always got to have your – kind of seems like that's the way it is with the three. You've got the three henchmen, the main guy, and then the, then the two. The capo, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like boys will be boys. It doesn't matter what country it is. It's all, it's all kind of the same. Right. Um, so this this one starts out, the guys are waiting for their plane ride, and um, I was really giddy watching this to, to be able to rewatch this again. Just really loved this episode, um, just planning on what was going to happen. Um, now, Kelly, how easy do you think it is to get from southern New Mexico into Texas on a private plane like that? Probably pretty damn easy. <laughs> you've, got, if you've got a private plane, you can go anywhere you want, pretty much. Yeah, don't you think it'd be a little hard, though? I mean, there's got to be... There's got to be air traffic controllers that that can't just let planes fly in and out unless they go kind of super low, maybe. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I know that um, when they were filming it, like for the for the real show, um, that it was really really windy that day, so they weren't prepared and they actually had to kind of rig up some lighting uh, and do the interior shots of the plane, which really looked like they're flying. And the actors had to tilt, move, and look like they were in a real airplane, and they had the engine running. Um, so some of those things that come up that they don't plan on. Well, while they're on the plane, Gus is really encouraging Jesse, you can do this. Um, you know, he's really got to rely pretty heavily on Jesse to pull this off, and he wants him to have all the confidence he can muster. Yes. Um, but that's kind of where that first little scene ends. We go to credits after that. They get to Mexico. They're driven in blindfolds to this big lab. Um, it's a big, pretty fairly large industrial complex, but it's really dirty and, and kind of not pure inside. Yeah, and just really quickly, something on that too that's kind of comical is Michelle McLaren was a director of this, and when Gaff was driving, she would say, okay, um, cut, and he would slam on the brakes, and all the people who are blindfolded would go flying into the back of the seat. So I think a lot of those driving scenes, they, uh, they, 
tend to get other people, the professionals, uh, because the actors are paying attention to their acting and not their driving. So, that so was he, he wasn't he wasn't trying to be a smart ass. He just wasn't a good driver. Right. He just was focusing on his acting, and then she'd say, "Okay, cut," and then he would slam on his brakes. Got it. Yeah. So they they get to this big industrial lab, and Gaff is there. Um, he's the one apparently in charge, although there's another chief chemist who looks like he's pretty important too. And in the show, his name is Benicio Fuentes. Uh, I don't know that actor's name, but he's been in 24. Hmm. Um, he's a pretty prominent role in 24, one of the seasons. Um, and it turns out that the chemist, we, we, we're going to see later on what happens to these cartel people. But I read this, that he was the only one that didn't die in that, in that group uh, visiting Don Eladio's pool. The chemist was the only one who didn't die? Yeah. I I didn't notice that. I don't remember him living or dying. I don't remember seeing him. I didn't notice that. But Jess, they're in this lab, this lab, and it's pretty dirty, so Jesse kind of borrows from Walt. He won't cook until the lab is clean. I think he's stalling a little bit for time here just to kind of establish his, you know, he's he's a little bit intimidated. He's trying to set down some laws there just to kind of establish himself. So he starts making him clean up the lab. Well, that chemist was kind of trying to push him and, and test him and see kind of where he was because he's kind of this chemist getting, you know, kind of disrespected at the fact they brought someone else in and it's kind of like, looks like a punk kid. Yeah. And he's he, he's going to be replaced essentially. Yeah. You can see the look on Gus's face for the first time. He has a very slight smile when Jesse kind of takes it by the reins and starts telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Gus is proud of him. Yeah. Very much. So at the super lab, I guess it takes them all night, but Jesse works the lab and he built, he cooks up a batch and they test the finished product in a gas chromatograph and they see, you know, it's kind of a countdown or a count up, I guess, to the purity level. And it gets pretty high. It gets above 96%. So everybody's, you know, pretty, pretty happy that Jesse pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe everybody but that chemist. <laughs> but Gaff is happy. Gaff's like, hey, first of many, you know, you're, you're staying. You belong to us now, which is news to Jesse at this point. Right. So now they go back to, uh, or a little bit later, I guess, back at Don Eladio's Hacienda, Gus's poolside, right where that spot was where he and Max uh, had that terrible experience what, 15, 20 years ago? So Gus takes that, that uh, pill case and he swallows some sort of a charcoal-absorbing pill so he can, uh, he can do it, what he needs to do in the next few minutes. And Jesse starts to ask Mike what's going on. You know, what's, what's this deal about having to stay in Mexico? And this is where Mike gives that line that you mentioned in one of our last podcast episodes that we're all going home or none of us are. Which is kind of interesting. It made me wonder what was going to happen during my first watch there. Me too, because it almost, I mean, at first it just looks like Gus is planning on selling him off to the cartel and folding. But uh, we find out that's not the case. So let's finish off what happens at the Hacienda here. So, so Don Eladio comes up and he sees the gift, the bottle of Zafiro Af- Añejo. Añejo, Zafiro Añejo. I guess it's a word that the writers made up for this episode, huh? Pro- yeah, I would imagine. It's it not looks a real, like- not a real <laughs> All right. brand. Um, and then, even though that was fictional, I read this that they kind of copied another real tequila that's like a hundred and forty year old tequila. Did you did you ever examine that? 
I've heard that, uh, yeah, that they, because obviously there's all those copyright problems, but yeah, they had kind of replicated some other fancy, expensive Spanish bottle. Yeah, I guess it wasn't a tequila. It was maybe it was a cognac. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hardy Perfection Fire cognac. So there were only 300 bottles made. It's, uh, it's 140 years old, and it's $7,800 a bottle. Wow. So special stuff. Why <laughs> why he threatens to cut off that guy's hand if he, uh, if he spills any of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they do, take a, they do take their drinks, and then um, somewhere along the way, Gus... Uh, Gus gets criticized by Don Eladio. He's like really picking on him. Like, I'm sorry, I have to spank you every 20 years. You're, uh, you know, you, you need you need to be shown who's in charge or something. So he really is riding him pretty hard here. Yeah, he says every 20 years or so you lose your place. And uh, you know, I mean, Gus has really gone above and beyond and made this whole empire for himself. And that Don Eladio still treats him like a child. Yeah, so Gus goes to the bathroom, and of course he's dr- he's been the first one to drink this poison. But the, all the capos have, and they're what they're what six or seven capos, and the chemist and Gaff, and Mike and Gus and Jesse and uh, a couple other people and a bunch of girls. But the main the main criminal leaders drink the tequila. Gus is also drinking it, but he knows he has to get it out of his system, so he goes to the bathroom. Or he kind of asks to go to the bathroom. That was a pretty delicate little scene, too, where he kind of stands up and asks if he can use the bathroom. Right. Then they follow him, or the one guy follows him. And then true to Gus's form, he stays completely composed, gets out the towel, slowly, you know, not if it were me, I would be panicking. He just was very controlled when he was, because I don't think he wanted to alert him in the bathroom that anything was going on. Yeah, and this is about 15 or 20 minutes after he's had that poison in him for a while, too. So yep. he's pretty calm, calm uh, character here. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gus starts to vomit, and he, comes, he realizes that he's, I guess, got most of it out. He comes out of the bathroom, and the, and the capo who had went to guard him was actually already dead or already passed out outside the door of the bathroom. Yes. Um, so everybody starts to drop now, of course. Don Eladio drops his cigar, and they all start to get affected by this poison. Um, and Mike walks up, and I guess he strangles Gaff. Is that Gaff, the guy he gets from behind? Right. And it's funny because you hear some of the the stripper girls or entertainer girls laughing like they're thinking at first that everybody's just kind of getting tipsy from being drunk. And then you start to see everybody fall like flies. Right. So um, they do manage to, the guys are poisoned and they, Mike takes care of Gaff and then um, they grab the necklace off of Donald Audio. Did you ever find out what that necklace meant, Kelly? It's like a bad eye, evil eye necklace? Um, I, I don't know the significance of why he took it off. I can speculate that maybe he just, it's kind of like cutting the head off the tiger or the head off the snake. It's kind of a keepsake. Um, but I don't really know what the significance of the actual necklace is. Yeah, later on they give it to Tio, so they, that's kind of proof to Hector that they've gotten the one up on Don Eladio, I guess. But the, he had that necklace on way back when they killed Max, too. Right, yep. So, yeah, so they're, they're needing to get out of there pretty quick, and Gus yells out to all the people, fill your pockets, all the girls mainly, I guess, fill your pockets and leave in peace or 
deal with me, fight me. So they all kind of scatter. And Kelly, what would you have done in that situation? If I were one of the chicas? Yeah, if you were one of the girls, would you would you grab some stuff or go in the house or just get the hell out of there? I would have grabbed and ran. I mean, I'm sure that those girls probably, you know, that's their main bread is hanging out with this, these cartel guys. Um, so, yeah, I probably would have taken my stilettos and grabbed some cash and bounced out. So do you think they drove off in their own cars? No. They were just taking their, the, the Capos cars? Uh-huh. So they got a car and a few a few handfuls of cash out of the deal. Yeah. They left pretty quickly, too, because there was even cash floating around on the ground. Yeah. They were yep. afraid of Gus. So um, they have a little bit more fighting to do to get away. I guess one of the people still there ready to fight is um, was uh, Gus's, or um, not Gus's, but Hector's grandson. Correct. And Jesse has to... St- do some pretty quick shooting and he looks like he really learned from that rage game how to shoot well absolutely and you know that probably family would be the only one that would attempt to do any killing um you know they're seeing that these guys have taken out his whole family um but yeah jesse's very quick unfortunately mike gets hit yes i have some questions about this now we're we're gonna go into the other storylines of the story but how does Kelly, how does Jesse know where to go with that car? He's Mike is hit, he's pretty much out of commission. Gus is kind of down from the poison. How does Jesse know where to take them? Well, I'm assuming that um Mike between Mike and Gus, they have the wherewithal to, to know where to tell him to go. You know, I mean Mike was hurt, but I don't know if he was necessarily uh where he wouldn't know how to direct him. But it's funny because Aaron Paul had a really good time taking that car down that dirt road and slam into a stop. So I guess he got to do his own driving as well. But yeah, that was a that was a Cadillac too. So it wasn't a Chrysler. That was one of the times they kind of veered away from their mm-hmm. standard Chryslers. Yeah, but I always wondered about that. Yeah, so it wouldn't have been anything they had the GPS set in it or anything. Uh, so I'm assuming they must they had to have directed him because he wouldn't have known where to go. Right. And they went to a different place than they came from, even though, like, they had the blindfolds on. They wouldn't have known how to go where they came from anyway. Right. But um, so another storyline in this episode was the Skyler um, Junior's birthday. Skyler setting up Junior's birthday. She calls Walt. She's bought him this new car, which isn't anywhere near as nice as the other car that he had. Um, it's a It's a used PT Cruiser. I felt really bad for Skylar. If there's any been, been a time I felt for her, the the reaction that Walt Jr. had to that car, where go take it for a spin. No, I'm hungry. I would have at least said, okay, I'll like, at least fake some excitement. Yeah, he was pretty standoffish on it. He was not very happy with that. It almost looked purple. I know it's probably blue, but it looked Marie Marie-ish, purple almost. Right. Have you ever driven a PT Cruiser, Kelly? I haven't, no. I, I don't think I would care to really. I went for a rental car once. They're really, really bad sight lines. It's hard to see out the back, and it's hard to see out the sides and stuff. Well, he, she was talking about how safe it was, so I guess she didn't do her research well enough. I know. <laughs> uh, but later, Junior takes the car over to Waltz to see him, and he sees his battered face from that fight with Jesse from the last episode. And Walt just kind of dismisses it, says it's, it was a fight over gambling, um, and 
Junior kind of takes care of him, puts him to bed, and as, as Walt Senior's falling asleep, he calls him Jesse. Right. Yes. I always wondered if that hurt Walt Junior's feelings because he send, spends more time with Jesse than he does with Walt Junior. I don't know if Walt Junior knows that necessarily, but. He doesn't have a real strong relationship to be called another name. He looks like he shrugs it off like he didn't really get it, but he noticed it. He definitely noticed it. Mm-hmm. So when Walt gets up the next day, he kind of tells Junior the story about his father, how he had Huntington's disease and he got actually sick. And Walt Sr. was afraid kind of as, as his father died. He had, he had really sad, lost memories of him, watching him in the hospital how the hospital smelled of cleaning fluid and death and his father was just in really bad shape and how it was scary to watch him die. Right. He apologizes too. Like, you know, I don't want you to remember me that way. And Walt Jr. is like, well, you were actually real. You were genuine. Like for the first time in a year, you're actually being yourself. So that wouldn't be so bad remembering you that way. Right. Pretty telling about the relationship that I mean, I don't even know if that was true about Walt's father. But I guess his point was an important one. Don't remember me this bad cancer-ridden way. Remember me in a happier way. Right, because he was beat up. He missed his party. He was completely out of it. And he you know, he said, oh, I had some beers and had some pain pills, and that's what made me act that way. But for it was kind of a nice dialogue. With You don't see a lot of R.J. Mitty in the long-term kind of uh, scene, so it was nice to see that. Yeah, it was a little heartwarming. Mm-hmm. So after he takes off, Tyrus drives up, of all people, the hateable Tyrus, and it kind of shows us that he's watching all of this all of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think this really dropped the dime, Kelly, for Walt, that he is really under constant, constant surveillance. Um, it kind of adds to the tense parts of the next couple episodes that Walt just can't, he can't get Gus, can't get close to Gus, and he is always under surveillance. Right. And he has no idea what's going on with Jesse. So, you know, he's just got a lot of things going on. Yeah, he's got a mystery of everybody all around him. He doesn't know what they're doing, and they all kind of can see what he's doing. Right, exactly. So there was a third storyline, and that was um, Saul getting money. They had to get money to Ted um, to kind of help Ted get this IRS thing figured out. So... Saul gets messaged by Francesca, and it's Ted, and he's requested a meeting. Um, it's the Aunt Berta scam. It's Saul getting Ted to come in and tell him about the Aunt Berta, or Berka, or whatever, the aunt from Luxembourg that died eight years ago and left him $621,000. Right. I like right before uh, Ted walks in, Saul's talking to himself and saying, this is just not a good idea. So he's kind of going against against his better judgment nowadays, too. Yeah. Well, come on, Kelly. They're leaving him exactly the amount he owes to the IRS. What the hell? I don't know if it was exact, was it? Or was it like they just kind of fluffed it up a little bit to make it not so obvious? Well, I think they left him like 621000 and he owed 619 or something. It was so close. Mm. <laughs> but, um... A minute later, Saul goes to the car wash. Maybe not a minute later, but a day later. Saul goes and shows Skylar that Ted's already leased a Mercedes. I guess three hours. Within three hours, Ted's taken that money and released a new Mercedes. Because um, so, Saul was following him or his henchmen. Because he had to report that to 
um, Skyler, and he's like, I don't show the same rose-colored glasses. Yeah. He's do the right thing, and I wanted to strangle him when I when I learned that he bought a new car. Because remember, we were talking about how he had that crappy blue one. Right. Well, as soon as he got some money in his hand, that's the first thing he does is go buy a car. Yeah, well, he leased it, a Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he jumped way up in his car status there. So then a minute later, he tells Skyler that he's got an unexpected cash infusion and he's reopening the business. And she argues how he should use the money to pay his tax bill. Um, of course, the whole point was she gave him the money for that. So um, Ted kind of says, it's my money. It's my inheritance. You can't tell me what to do with it. And then she reveals that it was it was her who gave him the money. Yeah. So, yeah, Ted's not very likable in this in this episode. Right, because she's trying to say if you don't pay it, then they investigate you, and then they investigate me, and then I'm going to be in jail where you already are. What, you know, what aren't you understanding about this? Yeah, yeah. So that's it for for four ten. Um, the next one is four eleven crawl space. If you want to reach us, um, you can get a hold of us at West Coast Project. My Twitter handle is scathing tweets. Kelly, what's yours? Brba underscore fun facts. And you've got a couple websites, too. I'm sorry I didn't mention those right off the bat, but what are your websites? Okay, it's uh, on Instagram. It's Breaking Bad Fun Facts and Better Call Saul Fun Facts. And Facebook is Breaking Bad Fun Facts as well. Okay, so we'll see you next time on 411 uh, Crawl Space, and we're going to see what happens with uh, the guys in that car after they've escaped from the cartel. Oh, it's exciting. Can't wait. All right, I'll talk to you then. All right. Bye.